Welcome once again to the AEW Review. We had another great night of wrestling without anything mind-blowing or special, but still very solid. This week's show started with a great match between Adam Page and Johnny Hange. It was at first very comedic, with John Silver comparing the size of the arms between him and Adam Page, but then it all started to go as a one hell of a match. With Johnny Hange reversing Buckshot Lariat taking control of the match quite a few times, hitting Adam Page with his deadly leg kicks, but then effectively losing after another Buckshot Lariat. It was a good match, but what happened after the match was even better because Eva Luna came out with the Dark Order of the Ring and he got a great promo. Saying that Adam Page is lonely and lost because he was trying to escape the biggest cult of them all, the Elite, but they didn't let him until he was broken. So, if you want to find a place where you can be treated equal, you know where to go. Join the Dark Order. Interesting storyline development, which will probably lead to the revolution match between Adam Page and Brody Lee, and I'm all for it. Good storyline with a good use of Hangman Adam Page? Yes, please. After this, we had a Kenny Omega interview backstage where he reminded us about his loss last year to John Moxley at Full Gear. He said the only reason why he lost was the stipulation. That's why he wants to give a gentleman agreement to John Moxley. So next week, there will be no tables, no chairs, no barbed wire, and no thumbtacks. Just pure wrestling. After this, we had a match between Lee Johnson and Will Hobbs. Or should I call him the Powerhouse Hobbs? Good name with a very, very big potential in the future. And obviously this match was a squash match with a showcase of Will Hobbs. With the post-match segment, which was much more important than this match. It was a task promo where he said that he is sick and tired of management and Tony Khan disrespecting FTW belt and FTW mentality. That's why he won't leave this ring until someone from the higher-ups will come up and put some respect on this title. But instead, his microphone was cut off. Then he grabbed another microphone from Justin Roberts, but sooner rather than later, this one was cut off as well, and only after a couple of minutes, Cody Rhodes came out to confront Tess. He said, hey, next week your team gonna have another opportunity to beat Darby Allen and myself, so please, would you leave this ring? But Tess refused. They went to another words exchange where Cody Rhodes, at the end, crossed the line. He mentioned Tess's son. He said, hey, if FTW is so important, why the hell is your son training with me rather than you? And this line truly hurt a task. He put down the microphone and he said that you're disgusting. There was no reason to make this so personal. And he just left. Or at least it seemed like this. When Cody turned to the hard cam and he visually signalized that, hey, Cut this segment off, cut this off. Taz put him in a Taz mission for the first time since 
I don't know, it seems like ECW days or something. And only when Gun Club came out, he released the choke and he left the ring with his son in the ringside. I mostly enjoyed this segment. I know people absolutely hated it, others absolutely loved it. I would rather stay somewhere in the middle because I enjoyed some of the segments, some didn't. Because if they were cut off a minute or two, if they would structure it just a little bit better, I think it would have worked out so much better. But I understand they try to make it look like a little bit of a shoot exchange and that's why they brought up his son even though I had no idea Tess had a son and I had even less idea that he was in a Nightmare Family. That's why his departure from the Nightmare Family has minimum effect on me because I didn't know about his existence. But overall, still a solid segment, I truly enjoyed Tess's mission from Tess and yeah, Looking forward to see next week's match between Darby Allen and Cody and Ricky Starks and Will Hobbs. Then we had a little backstage interview with Eddie Kingston where he said, of course I expected this bouncy everywhere. Weakling, Phoenix to betray me. But Pac, you don't want to go to war with me. You want to start a fight. And this fight you're going to lose. But then John Moxley appeared and he just stared deep down into Eddie Kingston's eyes. And Eddie looked back at him and said, You know it wasn't me. You know who it was. Now get your shit together, champ. I absolutely love this segment because not only are we keeping Eddie Kingston relevant in the main event picture, but also we're bringing back the other feuds, the other rivalries. It's so good to see multiple storylines at once being portrayed on Dynamite. Just mwah, beautiful. Speaking of something beautiful, I think you without a doubt should subscribe to my YouTube channel because big things are coming, trust me. But let's go back to AEW Dynamite because next we had TH2 versus the Top Flight and surprisingly it wasn't 450 after 450 every two seconds. At the beginning of the match it actually was very technical and even a little bit methodical. But throughout the match, the pace went back right after 100 and we had so many high-flying offense that I lost my count. But overall, this match was a little bit sloppy from time to time. This is exactly what you would expect from a very green team in comparison to TH2 with the top flight. But this sloppiness wasn't really damaging or even that visual for the majority of the match. Couple of spots here and there were a little bit sloppy, but overall, great match. That still had some very technical offense from especially Angelica throughout this whole match, because at the end of the match, he won with a submission maneuver. After Dante from Top Light tapped out, Angelica didn't release a submission maneuver instead, he and Jack Evans attacked his leg and didn't release him from the submission until the Young Bucks came in. And after this, they cowardly run away because they didn't want to have a fight against Young Bucks unless it's going for the title. And I think it's safe to say that the next match that Young Bucks gonna have for the title will happen probably next week against TH2. And I'm all for it. And this result was a very big surprise for me because we expect the newest AW signees 
most of the times come to Dynamite and win their second match because they probably lost the first one. But here, TH2 won and now they making themselves know for the titles. And I like this idea. Plus, I don't think it at all damaged Top Flight. They're still very young, they're still very popular and they have lots of potential. You don't need to rush with the Top Flight. That's why I think it was a nice and surprising decision to make them lose. Then we had another tag team match. Chris Jericho and Jake Hager versus Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian. And it probably was the weakest match on the card, but trust me, it was not bad at all. And it's mind-blowing to think that it's the first time ever we've seen Christopher Daniels and Chris Jericho on one ring. It's nearly 60 years of careers combined. It's just insane to think that they never met in one ring. But for the first time ever, we saw Jericho and Daniels. And yes, it was a little bit sloppy from time to time, especially when Daniels was on the ring, but come on, he's 50 years old. Chill out, he can't fight as he was fighting in his prime. But overall, this match was actually really good. I enjoyed when Hager was on the offense, I enjoyed when Jericho was on the offense. Kazarian's hot tech was one of the best things on this Dynamite. I mean, even considering Moxley and Omega beautiful segment, this one was brilliant. And of course, Christopher Daniels, best moonsault ever, did not disappoint. Unfortunately for SCU, they lost because of MJF interference, hitting Christopher Daniels with a diamond ring, and then with Judas effect for Hager to pin, I mean, he had no choice. This is a combo from hell. Two most protective moves in professional wrestling. Ugh, you can't kick out of this one. But after the match, Frankie Kazarian decided to get some sort of revenge and attacked MGF. It didn't work out well for him because Hole in a Circle decided to beat the living shit out of him until Scorpio Sky comes out for help with the chair. Nice match, and as we found out in the next segment with Chris Jericho and Hole in a Circle, Next week is gonna be Kazarian versus Jericho, first time ever, and once again, I'm really excited. I don't think it's gonna be a classic match for ages to come, but it's gonna be good. And it's gonna be Kazarian and Jericho the first time ever in one-on-one -on -one match? Of course I wanna see it. Like, who doesn't wanna see this? Then we had, oh my god, the best part of this Dynamite by far. Moxley Omega contract signing part 2 and I mean it was just beautiful. Moxley attacking Omega from behind didn't even let him do his typical over the top entrance then bringing him into this damn ring putting the title right in the middle of the ring allowing Omega try and grab this title but then stomping on the head and Omega was very cowardly heelish at this point he was trying to grab the belt, trying to run away, but he couldn't, and he ate a paradigm shift right on the title. And then Moxley cut a great promo with some Bullet Club handshirt. Saying gentleman's agreement? <laughs> yeah, right. And whoever you hired to try to assassinate me, they did a pretty piss poor job because I'm still standing. And Kenny, you have 
a mountain to climb that no one did for the last 18 years. You're gonna have to beat me. You have only one shot. So please, take your shot. Stay steady. Because you only have one shot. And oh, it was a beautiful promo. Omega was lying down on the ground, couldn't do anything, just stared at Moxley in pain. And Moxley cut this incredible promo and just walked away like a total badass. This segment hyped me up so much for this match and I already was hyped up as much as I thought I possibly can be. And, you know, I realized while the segment was going, oh, next week. We're gonna have this match. It's so surprising to me because I thought, okay, maybe two more weeks, maybe a couple more weeks. But no, next week already this match going to happen and I cannot wait. The possibility of it being just a great match. The possibility of Kenta appearing and actually costing Moxley his title is just so much things going on that makes me so invested into the story. And that's why I think it was my segment of the night. And then we had a little footage for Anna Jay versus Hikaru Shida to hype up their match and recall their history together. And this match was very good. I enjoyed it mostly because I saw the progress of Anna Jay. Because the first time when she met against Hikaru Shida, it was only her seventh match. Now, obviously that number rise, she had a lot of dark matches, some dynamite matches, but come on, she's so great. She's without a doubt the future of AEW Women's Division. And overall, this match didn't disappoint. I truly enjoyed some of the sequence, and I enjoyed Ty Conti trying to give the chair to Anna Jay, but then refusing to do this because she's still a babyface. She's still not with Dark Order, but John Silva just throw the candlestick of Hikaru Shido, allowing Anna Jay to hit her in the ankle. But still, it was not enough to take the victory. And then, a couple more sequences later, Hikaru Shido picked up the victory. Good for her. And I am really glad that we saw this dissension between Ty Conti and Anna Jay. Because last week I said they might drop the ball with this storyline, which they already did a couple months ago. But now, it seems like we're going forward somewhere. I think it's not going to be, oh, next week they're going to implode, but no. Slowly, but in the right direction, they're going, and they will come to the point where they're going to implode. Months, maybe two, who knows, but they're going to go for it. And I actually enjoying this. But I think we know who the next opponent will be for the title, because after the match, a baton came out to the ring, or to the ringside, better should I say, and she scared the living shit out of Hikaru Shida. She dropped her belt, a little bit run away, and then Abaddon just grabbed his belt, lick it with her bloody mouth. Ugh. Basically setting herself as a possible challenger for the AEW Women's Championship. I'm a big fan of Abaddon's look. I think she's portraying her character well, incredibly well if we're being honest. It's a shame that we haven't seen her for a damn while inside the ring because of that injury against Ty Conti in the match that never aired. But hey, it seems like she's fine and she's ready to get her title shot. I'm a little bit surprised because obviously I thought that 
Britt Baker would possibly become the next champion, but it seems like she's having her rival against Thunder Rosa right now, and when this is going to implode, we will see what will happen next with Britt Baker. But for now, it seems like Abaddon will be the next challenger for the title. And it's time for a main event of the evening. Pack and Phoenix versus Butcher and the Blade. And oh boy, did I enjoy this match. I missed Pack so much and I didn't even know about this. His offense in this match was just great. Hitting some incredible high-flying maneuvers, but also still selling the fact that he has this little ring rest. That's why he's still unable to do Black Arrow. That's why he's still not 100%. And him teaming with Phoenix, one of the most, oh, let's be honest, the most agile men on this planet, it seems like. Hitting some incredible moves. It's just, oh, it's so nice to see them in the ring as a team. And Butcher and Blade, they didn't get lost. No, 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 not at all. Especially Butcher absolutely destroying everyone with his size. Absolutely no fucking selling the dive from Phoenix. He just bounced back like it was nothing. Oh, I actually enjoyed this match maybe more than I should have, but I truly did like it. And Pac and Phoenix obviously had a lot of offense. They were in control for a long, long period of the match. Then it was time for Butcher and the Blade as more massive team take the advantage of the size. But at the end, Pack Phoenix do some incredible maneuvers. Pack on the outside, he cannot interfere. Phoenix is trying to get himself against the blade, but then Ellie interferes, allowing Eddie Kingston to just push Phoenix out of the top rope and allowing Butcher and the Blade to win this match. And it's such a nice thing to do because everybody expected Phoenix and Pack to win. Because Pack's just back, Phoenix, Pack, come on, Death Triangle, they're just incredible, outside the ring, inside the ring, beautiful. But no, you're giving something important, this victory is so important for Butcher and the Blade. They had a great year, 2020, but they still, from time to time, need these big wins to remind us how good they are, and they are still a top contenders for the titles, maybe. But just to give this driver a life, they needed to give them this victory, even though I 100% was sure that Pack and Phoenix will win. But it also makes Eddie Kingston still one of the most important pieces out of this whole segment. Eddie Kingston once again in the main event, Eddie Kingston once again the MVP of the match by just allowing their teammates to win. Great stuff. And after the match, they beating up Panta, Phoenix, Pac, Pac going through table, not for a table, for a chair a couple of times. Very nasty DDTs from Eddie Kingston. But then the Murderhawk monster comes down to the ring, not to save Pac, but just to beat the living shit out of Eddie Kingston. Because he never forgets. He still remembers that Eddie Kingston run his mouth a lot. He talks a lot of shit about Lance Archer, and here comes. Everybody dies, and that's true, because he absolutely destroyed Butcher and the Blade, and Eddie Kingston just escaped by a fucking second. I mean, it was great. 
once again multiple storylines multiple connections not only we seen Pac and Eddie Kingston not only we saw at the beginning of the show Moxley and Eddie Kingston now we're seeing Lance Archer and Eddie Kingston how I said to my friend Eddie Kingston made a lot of friends but he also made a lot of enemies and I absolutely love it I don't know what's gonna happen next because we all expecting like a triple threat match between Death Triangle and Eddie Kingster and Butcher and the Blade. But now with Lance Archer, God knows what's going to happen. And I absolutely love it. Overall, a very solid show. As I said, nothing insane happened. But so many great promos, segments, matches that I just can't help myself to enjoy the show every week. And this one was not an exception. Great show that I truly enjoyed. Thank you guys for listening. And sorry that it came out a little bit late. I had my stuff to do last night, so I couldn't do the review. But here it comes. Hope you enjoyed, and hear you soon.